Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1992, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1992, here from our perch in 2023. I am one of your hosts, Phil Iscove. And I'm your special guest host, Emily St. James, sitting for your regular host, some white guy who thinks he knows a lot about movies. I've been <laughs> waiting to like use that one. I was, I was going to be for the Aladdin one, but I didn't want to seem like I was dunking on Kenny because I love and respect Kenny. So I've been waiting for a while to haul that one out. Guys, he's back. It took six months. He's back. Worlds are colliding. I'm back, baby! Kenny Nybart, finally back on the pod to talk about what I would argue is there's there's like three movies that like if you if you said like what is Kenny? Um Kenny in a movie. Uh it's there's there's probably four or five, but the, the three that come to Can't mind. Can't wait to hear this. Uh I mean they're, they're they're all sports movies. Uh, Major League, Field of Dreams, White Men Can't Jump. <clears throat> I'd also put that, my cousin Vinny in that in that category as well, which is not a sports movie, obviously. Yeah, that that's every white boy I grew up with. Those three movies. Um, <laughs> no so offense. I, don't I meant feel, no judgment. I, I mean, no, I know, I know, because and I and I don't hold it against you in any way because you didn't grow up with the white boys I grew up with, so you didn't know. But uh, every every guy my exact age. Mm who uh from my area i guess from so the northeast most of the suburbs uh-huh. um who isn't that crazy about movies and i i don't hold that you know i don't say that derisively uh those are three movies that 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 we all know inside out front to back up and down like when i was watching white man can't jump when i rewatched it the people i was texting about it were all my friends from my youth who have probably seen less than 20 movies in their life. 
Um, but we, but we, uh, we, we, we talk, we, we, we talk to him. But the other thing about it is, you know, I, and I'm, I don't want to take over this podcast. I'm a guest. But the other thing about it is, I was watching the movie and I asked my son Rollins for longtime listeners. He's now 11, and he's basically. Um, He's he 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 wears a hoodie all day. He now. plays basketball. He's a young adult. He plays basketball. I asked him if he wanted to watch. He said yes. And then I go to watch it, and he doesn't come down. And ten minutes in, I text him and I say, "Rollins, you need to get down here. This movie's about basketball and talking shit. It's basically you in a movie." And he comes down and watches it with me. Now I watched this movie that for the first time. This movie came out in ninety two. Obviously, I was ten years old. My dad took me and my best friend Rob. To see this movie in the theaters, wow. so uh, to to then show this, then then to to watch this with my, he's only eleven for a week, eleven year old son, real passing the torch moment for me. So okay, um, you're but, ten yeah. years old. You're sitting in the theater. I'm assuming you're a basketball kid to some extent, right? Like you liked basketball, basketball, basketball. I'm a fan more than a basket. I mean, look, I'm a basketball player in that I you know went to right. gym class, but, but uh, I, mean, I played this on is, rec this teams. Is, I guess my question is: You're 10 years old. You're sitting in the theater. This basketball not... sport, yes, sports. Sure, sports are sports are everything to me at this moment. Basketball's enormous. I'm a Nick fan, and this is you know this is the height of the you know throw elbows at people's noses, Nick's. That really you, you know kind of informed think, us. And and obviously, Emily, very curious to hear your thoughts on this as well. But this movie is kind of. It is a sports movie, but I think what I love about this movie is that it doesn't lean into, you know, a, 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 a generic cliche sports arc, right? Like the actual, I mean, yes, you get the moment when he dunks and that's all fine and good. But like the fact that this is street basketball, the fact that this is sort of kind of a crime movie, the fact that like Jeopardy figures so prominently in the, in the storyline it it doesn't really feel like a basketball, like a sports movie in the sort of obvious sense of the term. Um, and I'm wondering at 10 years old, Kenny, did that, was that exciting to you or was that just like you didn't, or did you not even really put that together? At 10 years old? Yeah, it was exciting to me. I mean, it's, I mean, like, um, street basketball, just like, I get, I guess you, coming out with it the nba indoor basketball gym basketball were more or less the you know the domain of white people and black people played there and it was still you know corporatized world uh all the owners up until um bob johnson bought a team about 20 years ago were white all the you know, all the executives were white, not all of I mean, them, Stu Jackson and others, but for the most part, it was white. It was a very white world. The the interesting part about a, you know, a 10-year-old white kid from the suburbs who loved basketball, loved black culture like so many of us did, was this did feel like, and it, this movie's obviously told from the perspective of, you know, the white interloper, the tourist in this world. Uh, it did feel like, you know, going into a world that we hadn't experienced and understanding something that that we didn't necessarily understand before. Um, so really that back to is the thing too. Like this movie, the idea of street basketball. And forgive me, maybe there are lots of movies that play in this in this world, but like I think that that's what makes one of the things that makes this movie so special. 
Well, it's a very specific world. It's a, it's a very specific, you know, a specific world. And it, and it obviously, you know, the whole point is it comes with its own pre- own set of sure. preconceptions about who can do what and who's kind of, you know, accepted in the environment. And I think it's, I think it's, I think it, it's a really compelling story for, for young white kids. Now, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm going to give you the perspective of someone who watched from a white, a white person's point of view. And that's just, you know, that, that is what it is. But I think that that, I don't know if it, it 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 felt kind of like a it felt kind of like I think I hoped it would feel in that you know like you we all kind of view ourselves as Woody we think we're a bit of you know a a, a geeky white chump and um but maybe you know maybe there is some kind of you know, meritocracy on the court. Maybe there is some kind of fraternity found on the court. And I do think in some ways, I mean, I think this is, this movie is a fairy tale, much in the way like Pretty Woman's a fairy tale. And I think, uh, I think in a lot of ways, there is that kind of, you know, white, white perspective that you bring into this movie. Now, black perspective, I can't speak to, obviously. And I think there probably is a different, you know, point of view. But just from my perspective, it really kind of, you know, it, it, it felt like a hug. Like this movie feels like a hug to me. So, Emily, I have a question for you, <clears throat> which is we, we have sort of, uh, I don't want to say we've stumbled on it, but it does feel as though we have covered a fair amount of movies where the friendship, relationship, love. About, you're saying, men, you're saying, you're saying, oh, love between two. I thought you were going to say we've covered a lot of movies where a white person congratulates themselves for having a black friend. Uh, but please uh, continue. I mean, it was 92. <laughs> but, I'll, but I'll just, I'm, I'm speaking more to. The relationship between Billy and Sydney in this movie, mm-hmm. which is the paramount relationship of this film, which mm-hmm. is which is underlined by the end of this movie, which is that he mm-hmm. essentially picks Sydney over uh, Gloria. Um, what are your thoughts on that? On um, bros being bros, on on just guys being guys hanging out having a good guys time. loving I, other guys yeah. the thing is like this movie you know we've covered a lot of movies that have like homoerotic subtext and certainly this movie has like a, a, a huge homosocial component just in terms yes. of like a man who kind of really only wants to be around other men like he's got a girlfriend he loves yeah. and uh but he very much is like you know what i just want to i gotta be out there they're both guys like that and they both have love interests but like women enter the film only as accessories of these guys um it's uh i do wonder if it, it i think there may be a scene where where uh the two women discuss something other than a man so it might pass the back test just just barely just like that they it's... do they that that's when you get the backstory so you yeah. get the backstory where gloria uh tells sydney's wife i'm not even sure has a name but um she, she about what happened with the Skooky Brothers, mm-hmm. uh, I disagree with that Rhonda. strongly. That that Gloria is just an accessory. Um, I don't think I she's think an accessory she's her, at all. I, I think, think she, yeah, I think she she's has her, her own character. Yeah, I think that I, Ron I, Shelton. I, yeah, I think Ron Shelton is very good at giving all his characters material. Like I'm not uh, Gloria's a great character, and I really loved hanging out with her. But it certainly is like a story that is predominantly you know about the guys as all ron shelton movies are there's nothing wrong with that it's just yeah there is there is a i I think that um uh billy can never see gloria as anything other than his girlfriend like he tries but in the end he's kind of you know held back by that and i think that's a strength of the movie to be clear i i really like movie. i think the ending's brilliant i think about it all the time um 
And I think it's very true to the character. I, I, and I reference it a lot. This is one of the movies I reference uh, the most when I, when I, when I write, um, particularly this ending, because I think it's a very brave ending for this kind of movie mm-hmm. um, and a very unexpected ending for this kind of movie. Um, but so I, you know, I've seen this movie dozens of times and it's the first time where I didn't feel like Woody was choosing Wesley over Gloria. I, I, what I rem- what what happens in the end is for the first time, Wesley needs Woody. The first time sure. the whole movie he needs him. Right. He needs him honestly. He doesn't. He's not you know running a con on him. There's earlier when he asked him to play with him where he's just running a long con on him. Right. He's they're they're playing you know legit once. Then the second time he's you know for the 1700s running the con. That's the end of it. Uh, they get robbed, and Duck and you know and, and the Duck and King are in town. And I think, I, I I think it's a bit no offense. I think it's a bit reductive to say he chooses Gloria over Sydney at that point. I think was I think Woody's in a spot, and I think this and he should have he should have told her the whole story, right? The whole the story he told is I got to beat the king and duck, but the whole story is my friend who's now my best friend, uh, needs me, and every time I've needed him since you know you went there, he's been there for me, right? Now I need now now you know he got us on Jeopardy like that's that's what actually happened right like he really needed him and he got him on Jeopardy and that changed their life now he needs me and this is the way I can help him and we have to find some kind of equanimity here between us because you know and 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 I'm not saying Gloria's point of view is not a good one either her point of view is perfect which is there's always going to be something yeah. you know next it, 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 there's always going to be another time where you feel like you have to play basketball slash gamble instead of being with me and giving that up so i do think that it is somewhat more complicated at the end than i than than i i always that that i always kind of realized in terms of the situation woody's character is in at the end the i think what would be more accurate way to put it is the movie chooses sydney over gloria because like if 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 all of this information is conveyed to gloria i think she's going to be a lot more sympathetic to the situation and it's not really clear why it's not. And it, that to me is one of the few places in the movie it feels like there's kind of a screenwriting, like corner cutting to like get us to a place where the movie needs us to go. And like, again, the ending's great. So like, I'm not complaining about it. I think it's it's fine. It's just, yeah, it kind of needs to put put Gloria in that spot so that you can have the moment of every good relationship is about figuring out when to put your partner's needs ahead of your own. And in this case, uh, uh, Sydney's needs, uh, Billy puts Sydney's needs ahead of, ahead of his own, instead of putting Gloria's needs ahead of his own, he knows that he has to make like a choice to put somebody's needs ahead of his own. And if he had given Gloria all the information, then she might have been more sympathetic in a way that, that the movie, I don't say the movie doesn't allow her to be. She's a very sympathetic character, but the movie doesn't, the movie wants to present a simple binary choice in certain ways and like removes obstacles to that. I don't know if I agree. I I think the, and the the other kind of sensory memory I have with this film and I've always had with this film is that does the film choose Sydney over Gloria? I mean, Kind of, but the film also presents that as a sad ending. I'm not, that's my sense. I'm not really talking about that. I'm not really talking about a choice. I'm talking about like the way that the movie stacks the deck in favor of creating a scenario where it seems like there's a choice. 
I think that's a little. I also little it's tragic, but it's tragic. That's all I mean. Is yeah. like at the end, yeah. it's 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 a tragic ending. Like her skating away and him talking to her and her putting the headphones on. That's to me always the 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 last the lasting image of that film is that this guy knew the best thing in his life. Sure. Because he couldn't stop doing this thing that he knows is an addiction and he knows is a problem. Sure. Um, so I, that's always kind of how that that movie felt to me. Now it did gain something. He gained a, he gained a friend, which it seems like he never had before, and that might be more important to him moving forward in his life in a weird way. Yeah. Um, but you know, can I also just say too that I think one of the things that's interesting is that you know Billy has several opportunities to to quote unquote choose Gloria throughout this film, mm-hmm. right? Like there's there's a bunch of moments where you get the impression that uh, it just becomes a bit of a tonnage issue, I imagine, to Gloria yeah, too. To put, bit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. To put, again, just sort of not even so much to choose her as to put her needs ahead of his own. Yeah. And yeah. like, when it comes time to put someone's needs ahead of his own, he puts Sydney's ahead of his own. And I think that's brilliant. It's a brilliant character choice. I'm just like, I'm just like, I think that, that again, if I were Billy in that situation, I would be like, hey, here's here's everything that's happened. And if you still are mad at me, I get it. And the movie kind of just doesn't, it doesn't give them that. I mean, I'll, I'll also say too, I mean, I know we're, we're jumping ahead, but whatever, it doesn't really matter. I'll just say that, you know, I think Billy legitimately thinks she's going to be in the hotel room when he gets back. Mm-hmm. Oh, right? he definitely like, does. There's no question in his mind that this is just another bump in the road for them. Um, and that's part of it too, right? Like he's deluded himself into believing that like she will always be there. So it's not even, I'm not even convinced that he even thinks he's making a choice, right? Like he just thinks she's, he just truly believes she's going to be there. You know what I'm saying? So I, I think that, that that plays into it too. I want to give a little bit of context. Uh, Billy Hoyle, played by Woody Harrelson, is a white basketball hustler who banks on black players underestimating his skills on the court. When he pulls one over on Sidney Dean, played by Wesley Snipes, his victim sees a lucrative opportunity, and they become partners in the con game, plying their trade across the courts of Los Angeles. Meanwhile, Billy has to keep one step ahead of mobsters to whom he owes money while staying on the good side of his Jeopardy-obsessed motor-mouth wife, Rosie Perez. Uh, White Man Can't Jump opened on March 27th, 1992 in first place against Basic Instinct, Wayne's World, My Cousin Vinny, and The Cutting Edge. Uh, it would go on to make $90 million on a $31 million budget. It has 77% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's one of the greatest That's one of the greatest weekends in the history. Is of that not an insane weekend? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, just with the choices you have, just a platter of oh, choices. Yeah, I, 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 could ju- I could just go see all five of those in a row. Jesus. Um, it's unbelievable. Uh, 77% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, 68 from audiences. Roger Ebert gave the film three and a half stars out of four. Said White Man Can't Jump is a movie about black basketball hustlers and a white guy who cons them and is conned by the others. But the plot description doesn't begin to do justice to this movie, which is all about language and timing and loyalty and betrayal and is very smart and very funny. The language is one of the great joys of this movie, uh, not just because of its energy and spirit. Most of the characters are gifted verbal improvisers, but because of its originality. The usual four-letter words and their derivatives are upstaged by some of the most creative and bizarre insults I've ever heard in a movie. Here is a comedy of great high spirits with an undercurrent of sadness and sweetness that makes it a lot better than the plot itself could possibly suggest. I, you know, I, Kenny and I were texting, obviously, um, about Ron Shelton and and sort of this, 
um, and and Kenny smartly said, you know, he's the Rob Reiner of sports movies. You know, I do think that this first, you know, batch of films is pretty unbelievable. I mean, and then the back half is just kind of depressing. But um, I guess my question, and this is sort of to you, Emily, you know, what I love about Ron Shelton's sports movies is that they don't necessarily feel like sports movies, if that makes sense. Like I think about Bull Durham, I think about Tin Cup, and these movies are sports movies, but he's writing in them in such a way that they're they're really character studies where they happen to take place, you know, in the in a in a petri dish of sports. But what do you think of his movies? I mean, I I was gonna sit here and say I love Ron Shelton, but I kind of just love three of his movies. I love Volter. <laughs> I think yeah. there are only three good movies. Yeah, I love Bull Durham. I love Tin, I, Tin Cup is my favorite movie because I think that's a brilliant, brilliant movie. I really like this movie. Like, I, I think of those three, it's it's the weakest, but I love all three of them. So I'm not like, you know, yeah. completely ranking them. But I went and looked at his filmography and he's made other sports movies that are just like Cobb is a really bad biopic. Um, there's uh, uh, Play It to the Bone is, is okay, okay as I recall. That. It's yeah. awful. It's okay. awful. We, we did it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was I was going to say you probably have a, a firmer memory of it than I. But yeah, it's like it's like his reputation rests on these three movies, but they're all really good movies. Um, but yeah, I think there is a thing that he captures, which is when he's in the zone with character writing, he's really brilliant. And I think what he's so good at is writing about relationships between men and women where the men have this like passion, overriding passion that's not a woman. But like they are still, you know, like I'm in love with this this person. He writes really great female characters, deceptively so. You know, I don't want to say deceptively so because Susan Sarandon's character in Bull Durham is like one of the all-time great woman characters. But it's like I don't think that when you think about great writers of women characters like Ron Shelton leaps to mind. But in all of his movies, you know, Gloria here is, is a Gloria's uh, the best fantastic character. Um, the the love interest in Tin Cup, which I haven't seen in way too long, is a great character. Rene Russo, so yeah. good. Yeah, it's so. It's like he has this sort of range that he can play in, which is character studies of guys who, for whom a sport becomes an addiction, mm-hmm. and then the women that love them. And once he gets outside of that, which in in theory Cobb should have been right in his wheelhouse, so it's weird yeah. that it just like didn't work. I, you know, Kenny, I couldn't help but think about Play to the Bone rewatching this a little bit. I don't know if you had those thoughts too, because it, it does, first and foremost, it just plays into how disappointing Play to the Bone is, because I do think that it's kind of there for the taking. In ter- and, and he casts his wife in this female role, Ron Shelton does. And I wouldn't even say that, um, uh, why am I drawing a blank on her on her name now? Lolita Davidovich. Lolita- Exactly. That she's bad in the movie. I don't think she's bad in the film. And I don't even really think that no, the role she's is great. Is, yeah, she's great. I just I'm I'm speaking more to like structurally they're a little bit similar. Like I do think that that White Man Can't Jump and Play to the Bone are probably, you know, comparable in terms of like the way that he's approaching them. It just play to the bone just does not work at all. Um and I'm sort of curious as to well, why you think that is. Uh, I think Emily hit on something early on. Uh, this isn't true for Tin Cup, and I love all three of those movies very much. I think White Man Can't Jump is head and shoulders above the, the others, um, personally, but that's me. Um, it's not really true for Tin Cup. Tin Cup is almost the opposite in like 
I th- I think Tin Cup kind of. It, I think Tin Cup is the weakest I think by far because Rene Russo loves that he, ultimately loves that he you know destroys Success. himself for the game. Right. I'll never forget the the no one will ever forget your thirteen on you know on the eighteenth hole, like that's a good thing, you know like <laughs> like like that was like that that's that's what what does it no that, I mean it's true no one will ever forget it but it will be replayed on ESPN forever and ever as the time you know Roy McAvoy. Uh, you know, kind of melted down at the U.S. Open. And don't get me wrong, I love that ending. I love it. But holding out from the fairway and then having, you know, the woman you love tell you that was a great thing does kind of betray its core message, or at least what I'd want the core message to be, um, which is learn from your mistakes. Or don't, but don't get rewarded for them. Sometimes um, you just love a what, man who has a code. What can I say? You just And he looks like having costumes. It's Cosmer. true, it's true. Like... He he probably has never been hotter, but uh, the okay. thing you were hitting on earlier is, and where play at the bone falls short, is there is a latent homoeroticism in this film, in Bull Durham, and in play it to the bone, it's a little less latent, that not every straight male actor is comfortable playing with. Mm-hmm. And... Tim Robbins and, and Kevin Costner were to some extent. Woody and Wesley play it like lovers. But it's 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 simply like this platonic subtext that they just throw themselves into in a way that you completely believe that these two people I mean I truly I'm not trying to be glib and say there 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 is like a a sexual attraction between them, but there is a extremely strong chemical reaction attraction between these two men, to the point where like I think fucking money train works because I believe that these two men deeply care about. Forgot each it other. existed, but yeah, right? it does work because it's like the, the Woody Wesley thing works. It really, really works. Um, so I think that the reason Play to the Bone works so poor is so bad. Is because it was it was uh, Antonio Banderas and who? Woody Harrelson. And who's the other guy? Woody and Harrelson. Woody. Uh, they for whatever it is, and there are a lot of gay jokes in that movie. For oh, whatever God. it is, those two guys don't scream. Two guys who genuinely love and care about each other. If yeah, I don't know if it was Wesley. I, I'm already imagining if it was Wesley and Woody, it would break my heart. The idea that these two guys are going to have to fight each other at the end of the movie. Well, there's just think about that. Think about a world where it's those two guys knowing that they're two boxers. And at the end of this movie, they're going to have to fight each other. That's so devastating. It's like warrior, which a movie that works. I agree. I I think what's interesting too, is that play to the bone goes kind of all in on this mobster crime stuff that I would argue is probably the weakest link of this film. Like, and it's barely in it, quite honestly. I mean, the mobsters, for the most part, play a little bit cartoonish, and it's kind of, you know, not, not, it doesn't even feel like a real thing in this film. Well, the, 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 also, the end is so yeah. great. The end yes. is so great when they're like, oh, we could show our face back in, in Louisiana again. Yeah, yeah, like they're, they're the losers of the fan. No, 100%. Whereas it's so much more of the storyline and play it to the bone. Like they're really all in on that. It just doesn't work. But I want to talk for a second about, sorry, go ahead. I'm Ron, Ron Shelton is also fascinated by crime. I think his best non movie out of that. That's not in that trio is dark blue, which is not a 
good movie per se, but comes Kurt so Russell, close to being a really Dirty good Cop one. Movie? Yeah. 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 And it's in the lead up to the Rodney King uh, situation. So it's, uh, uh, I haven't Is seen that 92 it. Saw... also? That's 2002. No, no, no. No, yeah. That's it's 2002. Later. Oh, all right. Sorry, uh, I saw it when it came out because I was like a Ron Shelton fan. And Completist. I was like, at the time I was like, this is pretty good. And I don't, I don't have a firm memory of it, but I remember it like being an improvement over play it to the bone. And like, I think it's probably his strongest movie outside, of it, but it is the one movie where he's sort of like, I'm going to indulge my crime, yeah. my interest in dark crime stories in a way that like plays a little bit more seriously. And then he makes Hollywood homicide and destroys his career. So, yeah, I mean, I, I dark blue would be an interesting double feature with uh, unlawful entry, but uh, <laughs> that, a, a 1992 movie. I think uh, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Um, where Kurt Russell is, is not the cop, but I, I do think that when I hit play on this movie, so I had watched this movie for the first time, Kenny, I want to say it might've been during the pandemic. I can't really remember, but it was a few years ago. Um, it was a movie I'd never seen before and I knew it was a big movie for you. Um, and I watched it and I loved it. Um, this time around, I was, I was pleasantly surprised by how, like, how, sort of gracefully this movie changes gears like this movie kind of opens with a good like solid 20 30 minutes of what feel like a somewhat broy sports movie and i'm not suggesting that it doesn't continue that but it does show its layers and its complexities very subtly in in a way that i really appreciated this time around i think that it's just kind of it's a much more surprising and nuanced nuanced movie than i think people give it credit for like i i do think that most people i assume fans of this movie i'm not including you in this kenny because obviously you see the complexities in it but i do think that like it's a that's you know, me uh no i mean it's it's kind of a smack talk basketball movie that i think a lot of people kind of associate the vibe of this movie and sort of the kind of the as opposed to the kind of weird romantic relationship drama that's really going on in the undercurrent of this film um yeah i mean do you do you sort of see that or do you feel like i mean i'm you've seen this movie a million times so i mean yeah i th i think i i think you're right i think there are a lot of smack talk basketball movies and i think there's a reason this one endures and it's because it's not about the smack talk basketball part it's because that is you know that that's an accoutrement um, what this movie really is about is two relationships, right? And um, also, you know, a, a fairly, a fair, a, I think, a, a extremely relatable situation to a lot of people, which is we're running out of money. And, you know, we, we really don't have, like, particularly applicable skills to the real world. You know, one of them is only really great at trivia. The other one is only really great at basketball. And they're doing whatever they can to kind of pull it together. Um, I think that I, – I, I think, you know, Bill Simmons, you know Bill Simmons, of course, always used to complain because he's a, you know, boy. He, I guess. he complains. I he complains about he's, things. He's a, he's a complainer. <laughs> yeah. that, that, that Bull Durham isn't, a, isn't actually a baseball movie. It's a romantic comedy. And that and, 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 and that is derisive, but it also wasn't meant as like, I don't like it. I just want to be clear yeah. that yeah. like it's a great movie. That's a romantic comedy. Uh -huh. um, there are a lot of fucking baseball movies, right? 
a lot of baseball movies, but the ones that endure are the ones that are really about something else. League of Their Own is not about baseball. It's about a relationship between two, two sisters. Field of Dreams is not about baseball. It's a relationship between a father and a son. Even Major League, which is my fucking movie to, you know, to, to, I'll die at every hill forever, ever, ever, uh-huh. is not really about baseball. It's really about brotherhood, right? It's really about trusting uh-huh. the people. Uh-huh. It's really about, about believing and loving and being in a found family situation. Um, it's kind of about movie. when a baseball gets a face and flies across the sky and goes, ah, that's what Major League's about. <laughs> I've only ever seen the poster. I've never seen that movie. So. No, that is what the movie is that about. Is it's about, <laughs> it, it's a fa- it's about baseball. That's what the baseball is called. <laughs> um, in the movie, <laughs> when baseball attacks, <sighs> but need, and, and, and furthermore, and Emily, you're a sports fan and Phil, you're a, a Canadian sports fan. Mm-hmm. Sports aren't really about sports. ESPN doesn't really thrive because of uh be- because of, of showing sports or showing scores. That's why the news. That's why the sports news always felt like it took a backseat to Sports Center because Sports Center was always telling you a story. Thirty for Thirty is about stories. I love. I think people know I love LeBron James and I like watching LeBron James play basketball a lot. But what I really love is the 20 year, 25 year story of this 16 year old chosen one doing what he does or not doing what he does or playing every aspect in every single way and every decision being dissected because it means so much more than what happens on the court. The, the things people talk about with LeBron are all stories coming back from three, three, one against the Warriors. That's not a, it's not an incredible athletic feat. That's an incredible human story, yeah. right? These are incredible human stories or they're tragic human stories, like choosing to go to the heat instead of, you know, staying in Cleveland or going back to Cleveland and winning there. That only matters because of the story. So I think sports fans may not even realize it, but they are so much more conditioned to being, you know, um, story receivers. <laughs> For the record, they definitely well, don't. Realize no, some some don't, but I think right. some do. I don't think it's hard to like to to have a ten minute conversation with a sports fan and say, "Why do you like this person?" And it goes beyond, "Well, he plays for my favorite team." Yeah, yep. it goes into like there's something about you know some poetry or some something about what he does or what his story is or what she does, what her story is or something like that that really people really find compelling. Like my favorite athletes before LeBron James were always Phil Mickelson and Jennifer Capriati. And I love Phil Mickelson because he was number two to Tiger and he could never really, he could never really um, climb Jennifer that Jennifer Capriati is a pull. It's a, it's a Go really good it. answer. And the reason it I is. love Jennifer Capriati is the same reason I love Ben Affleck is because Jennifer Capriati was a wonderkind. Came out, youngest player ever on tour, 15 years old, very much cover of magazines. Never quite rose to that level, had it all fall apart, arrested for drugs, was a poster child for like too much too soon, came back at 24 and won two majors. I just want to say as an older person, I agree. I I don't I I love that shit, but I had nothing to do with how she plays on the court. Oh, oh, my God, there's there's a baby. baby, There's a baby and the baby's entered the chat. Your baby. Your baby is a cute baby. It's a very. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That is one cute baby. Gotta, oh, gotta, my God. I, I got to turn off the Whoa! background so we can see. It's, it's pretty. It's That's pretty the cutest baby. It's, oh, it's, my God. It's stupid. And she loves screens. So she's just. Oh, no. <laughs> Emily, take her off. That I, 
I, I might have to kidnap that baby. It's I mean, it's ridiculous. Um, Holy I, I, shit, you have such a cute baby. Thank you. Congratulations. I, I want to say that, that, um, that she's cute. That, that'll she's make her very, very cute. Um, but but also uh, that that is the pull quote of this episode. Jennifer Capriati is why I love Ben Affleck is is incredible. No, not what it's the same reason. I, all my all my favorite people mm-hmm. are people are people who have been written off to the point where they have been to the point where they are ridiculed mm-hmm. and come back and sure. prove that they are bigger and better than any of these critics could ever imagine. That is my fucking shit no i i get that and i and i do i mean to to underline what you're saying you know which does feed into this film to a certain degree um everyone loves an underdog because of the story right like everyone is always cheering for the cinderella team cheering for the underdog because you know everyone loves a david and goliath everybody loves that idea yeah Um, even god knew that even even God knew it was good storytelling. So yeah. I do think the bi- that the biggest overdog of all time even got it. <laughs> yeah. But I think this movie, which you know, I'm not sure that I even thought about it prior to this, but this idea that like in life, these guys, Billy and 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 Sydney are behind the eight ball, right? They're they're struggling to make ends meet, they're struggling to keep to support themselves, their families, what have you. On the court, they're obviously very good. And that idea of these, that the confluence of those two things, of rooting for these guys to pull themselves out of their circumstances with this talent that they have, but also this idea of, and again, like all good sort of, you know, duo movies, it's the idea of, you know, we're better together than we are apart, I think is also, you know, part of what feeds into the ending of this film too, right? Which is that this idea of, professionally billy recognizing that with sydney at his side they're unstoppable quote unquote um i think that that's part of the kind of the juice of this film too um Um, when it comes when it comes to sports movies baseball and boxing have an inordinate number of like good movies compared to other sports certainly there are other good sports movies and i think it's largely because baseball and boxing come down to one-on-one face-offs yes. and that's easy to build conflict around and this movie is very smart in how it turns basketball it, it plays with one-on-one basketball it plays with small street basketball in a way that allows it to bow, to boil a game that is inherently an ensemble movie you know inherently should be about yeah. ensembles to a one-on-one thing it's totally. i think that that's that's what sort of shelton i also uh, figures out it's worth it's worth saying to um that Wesley and Woody both learned to play basketball quite well. During Woody the- knew. Woody yeah. knew. So Woody, Woody was a player, and Wesley basically never picked up a ball. It's yeah. actually crazy what he's able crazy to accomplish. To, yes. Yeah. But so much of it is, I mean, just from a filmmaking perspective, the the freedom to have those wides, the freedom to be able to show these guys sinking mm-hmm. these shots. It's is, insane insane and so vitally important you know that what i was, mean like yeah, you know if my, it was being cheated that was my overwhelming takeaway for like the first 45 minutes i was like these guys can actually play basketball <laughs> or at least can play it in a way where a movie can fake it convincingly because i know that like it's scripted and the other guys are like throwing it away a little bit but yeah the well but it's totally look i'm gonna say one thing about the um about the remake 
or the sure. the reboot or whatever, whatever reimagining. Uh, that's not the case, and <laughs> it, and 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 it does strain credulity throughout the film. Um, th- again, you know, watching it, you know, as an older person and and kind of watching it with a more critical eye than I normally do. The shoot off that they have in the beginning of the film, Wesley and Woody. I think seven out of those 10 shots are one take, mm-hmm. right? Just one take in the beginning. They keep make, they keep sinking these fucking threes. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's incredible. It's incredible. Like these guys just like, they, they, they are so convincing as the best street ball duo that, it, and they need to be. Like, yeah, it, it doesn't like, work without it. It really doesn't. There's, <laughs> I don't know. It's 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 a it's a weird movie. It's a uh, ever see Twenty Ninth Street, Phil? I don't no, know if I ever. Don't I wonder know if it's. Is. I wonder if it's ninety two. Then maybe we could talk about it. Ooh, <laughs> I don't know. Ninety one. Maybe you should just let me uh, in. Maybe you should just let me do it. Twenty Ninth Street with uh, it had Danny Aiello and Anthony Lapalia, and okay. basically it's about the guy who won the lottery for the first time, the New York lottery, oh, okay. the first okay. New York lottery. It's such uh-huh. a beautiful movie. It's like it's a wonderful life. But okay. the thing about that movie, that a little that kind of strange credulity, but it's the premise of the film, is that this main guy has always been so lucky. Everybody knew right. in the from the beginning that he was going to win the lottery. It was uh-huh. a self fulfilling prophecy, and that's that's the movie. That's the same with this movie. Like yeah. you don't really go into. Any of the – not even, not because it's a movie, because these guys are legit. You don't go into the two-on-two tournament thinking they're going to lose. You don't go into the king and duck uh, thing thinking they're going to lose. It's never, ever about are they going to win or are they going to lose. Yeah. The only athletic thing that it's ever about is, it, well, Woody Dunk. And that is such a small thing that Rollins, like – Rollins, like, watching the scene, he's like, so he's going to dunk at the end, right? Like, it's just like it, – it means yeah. nothing to the film. Yeah. But it's – I mean, I agree that it means nothing to the film. Still works. It's a great moment. It works great like moment. gangbusters. And part of it oh, yeah. is the fucking hug afterwards. Woody is just elated. Yeah, the whole, yeah and Wesley holds his head. It's one of the great movie hugs of all, all time. It's I, fucking I, great. I, 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 I really do feel like, you know, the, the thing about this film is like, in a lot of ways, it was the blueprint for how my friends and I played sports moving forward. You know, just how we... Play pickup sports, right? No matter what it was, but it always kind of felt like we were trying to channel these guys when we played sports. And I, I texted one of my friends um, during the movie, a friend who I went to camp with, my friend Jamie, who grew up in the city and is, is very obsessed with this film. He named his dog Sydney Dean, right? Uh, the okay. day after that, we 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 were we were doubles tennis partners, and. Th- my friends uh, got kicked out of camp. Our like, our two good friends got kicked out of camp um, the day before, and it was kind of devastating to all of us. And, like, not only were like two good friends we'd known them since we were nine, but also they were like two of our best athletes, and they were like leaders in the group. And it really kind of like was upsetting. We had inner camp at the, the next day, and Jamie and I almost almost. Without mentioning it, in no way were we like, let's do this. We just cosplayed Woody and Wesley this whole tournament. Um, and we, and I was like, I'll never, as I texted, I'll never forget what he did. He goes, dude, like, that's a memory that'll last for, last for my whole life. Like, what I'd give to be 14 again. And more than any other movie, 
maybe this and Major League are the two movies that I remember always kind of emulating as a kid and and playing out and and pretending to be them. And you know, you're playing basketball, baseball, and a friend in the back backyard. You're Jake Taylor. You're playing basketball. You're Billy Hoyle. Like they're yes, this is this is the closest I have to like running around and pretending I'm Indiana Jones or running around and pretending I'm Han Solo. <laughs> That's incredible. this is this is my childhood cosplay. I that is amazing. I want to just, uh, there was something I learned that I think is worth talking about for a second, just in terms of, you mentioned that Woody Harrelson knew how to play basketball before this. Um, so when they were making the movie, the producers hired Bob Lanier. Is that how you say his name? Lanier? Bob Lanier? Lanier, my Bob apologies. Lanier is an old basketball player. Right. Uh, retired uh, just uh, Detroit Pistons center as a basketball coach for them. So Woody Harrelson, who- He wound up becoming the mayor of Detroit, Bob Lanier. Really? That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, so Woody, who had played basketball in college, was bragging to Lanier about what a great player he was. So Lanier invited Harrelson to play a little one-on-one, and Harrelson later described it as the most embarrassing 15 minutes of his life, which I think is like, <laughs> like just that he schooled him. I, I think got a wrong fantastic. guy. I got a wrong guy. I think it was Bob McAdoo. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but I do think that, so according to like the basketball instructors, Wesley and Woody reached the skill level able to start a, an NSA double A division three team is what they're saying. I don't know oh, yeah. what that Hell means, yeah. but is that, that's is that, impressive impressive yeah (laughs) they could they could start for the university of sioux falls in south sioux falls (laughs) south dakota i'll I'll tell you what that means in my opinion because i think about this this stuff all the time which is kind of funny uh i went to high school 250 kids in a grade so a thousand kids and my basketball team my uh it wasn't my team but i wasn't on it because i wasn't good but the team my uh junior year went to uh the went to the the county finals and we played a really good team peak peak skill that had two nba players two good nba players um and ben and uh i can't remember two nba players and uh oh elton brand was one of them so elton brand wound up being rookie of the year and and all this shit um and uh our best player on this team that was good enough to go to the county finals played uh division two so the best player most people know couldn't play D3, right? The average, like the average best player you grew up with, like maybe could play a D3. And so that that's how good they, they are. could do that. I mean, it's it's pretty incredible. Um, I, I I also think um, just to talk very quickly, we've talked Woody a little bit before, Kenny. Uh, obviously, we had a couple Woody films in '99 that we talked mm-hmm. about. Otherwise, but um, this this period of Woody's career is kind of interesting insofar as that, like, this is his first big movie. This is his first, like, I would argue breakthrough success. It should be said too, that like the poster just says Wesley and Woody, like Woody is that they believe he's enough of a, a household name that they could literally do that at this stage in his career. When truly like, He's he's had bit roles in a handful of things, but he's basically just been on Cheers. He's on Cheers as a character named Woody. I think he's a huge. This is arguably fair, the peak fair enough, of fair enough, this fair is fair. arguably the peak of his stardom, Phil. Like this is and arguably I think he won, when he was the most famous. And he, and he was. I, I I think people. Well, I don't know if that's right, but I think people almost misremember what he was on Cheers. Like he, I yeah. think he won Emmy. Like he was, he won an Emmy. Like I don't mean to take anything away from yeah. Cheers. I'm and I, and you are absolutely correct, Emily, that he does play a character named Woody. So I understand what you're saying, but it's and it's like it's it's it, kind of amazing that they're doing that. 
it was the biggest show on television at this point. Like it had just come off a season where it was the number one show on TV. Right. Like, I mean, you could, you could argue there are other points where he's slightly more famous, but this is definitely in like the top three, at least this is for sure. For sure. Him. Yeah. This is like him huge. Yeah. I, I, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, very few people make the transition from TV to movies. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and you're absolutely correct that like cheers is a, gargantuan success right um it is interesting just to see white men can't jump into indecent proposal into natural born killers um is just sort of an interesting trifecta of films and then it's like those are kind of you're saying those are like his first three like those big are his major first movies three major movies those i would, I would big, argue those are some big killers major movies like, right no but natural born killers i would argue is the first time that like it feels like they're he's the poster. It's his like they are banking on Woody Harrelson as movie star. And it is interesting to look at sort of the next few years of, you know, he, he does money train, as you mentioned in 95, which is only three years later, he's back with Woody Harrel uh, with, with, with Wesley Snipes. Then he's Oscar nominated for people versus Larry Flint Kingpin. Like he's doing, and then it's kind of a series of quite honestly, just, sort of charactery what have you then it's played to the bone ed tv he's just a, a fascinating movie star um and i and i would argue that he's never really banked on being the lead of a movie kind of since i the mean movie, Zombieland isn't even really him as a lead the one big movie role he has before that is he's in doc hollywood but he's basically yes. playing he's playing Great the major flick. supporting part there yeah Good movie. he's playing the major supporting part there in a similar way to what he was doing on cheers at that time it's a very different character but he's in a similar position mm-hmm. to another tv star who's at that point has made a crossover to being a movie star um i do think what's interesting about his 90s work is that after natural born killers a lot of those movies flop but have long tails you know like kingpin's a movie that didn't do well in theaters but like everybody saw on video and like you know Uh everybody like i want to say everybody remembers that movie but it is a a well-remembered movie similarly um people versus larry flint obviously got a lot of acclaim but was not a very big success but like people you know it it, it's he was in interesting projects which sort of absolutely kept him alive even though he wasn't the draw that I think people hoped he would be. I mean, he's in Wag the Dog. He's in Thin Red Line. Like he's in stuff that obviously is is you know uh, critically acclaimed and what have you. He's I think he's a fascinating guy. He gets an Oscar nomination for The Messenger as well in '09. Um, you know, we talked about him in 2012, Kenny. Um, the film 2012 that is. He's obviously yeah. in the Hunger Games movies. Like he's got franchise. Like the guy has obviously found quite a niche for himself, and it is. Really well, interesting. He's also become a perma star, you know, in a way that some yes. people are. Like Woody's never going anywhere. That's kind of been true for about twenty years. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he he's he's bigger than the movies he's in for the most part. Um, and I, I, you know, and and his his marijuana stuff gets you know noticed outside of this. I don't know if you know he has a, one of the most interesting personal stories. His dad was a, yeah. a mafia hit hitman. Yeah. Um, and almost and, and was he's like just, he's, part of the JFK assassination potentially. Maybe uh, <laughs> he might be my, Matthew McConaughey's cousin brother. I, like, I mean, then there's just, the true detective of it all too, which is like give him another true detective. Juice, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and he just you know he just kind of did triangle of sadness last year just for the fuck <laughs> of it. Like he's he's just a perma star. He's bigger than the movies now. Um, 
agree. Even even if he's not really, you know, the kind of guy you're putting out there as a, as as a, a lead to to bring you to to theaters. Sure. Um, I wanted uh, one other uh, trivia fact that I learned while uh, uh, researching this film. Apparently, this was a favorite of Stanley Kubrick's. Uh, of course, of course, Stanley Kubrick loved White Men Can't Jump. You can see it all yes. over Eyes Wide Shut. Like it's <laughs> as I like, said. Yeah. The scene where Tom Cruise, the scene where Tom Cruise and a man in a weird mask play a game of pickup basketball. basketball is yeah. pretty clear. <laughs> yeah. Deleted influence. scene, but a great scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I also, you know, I don't know if you guys are like this, but I always love when a movie fucks with the the title, the studio fanfare, or what have you. Um, and I love the of course that the best. It. That the was best. that was when I was like, this movie is going to be like i i just want to say i came into this movie thinking it was like that joke in the simpsons where homer simpson is watching a stand-up comic who's like white guys drive like this and black guys drive like this <laughs> it's funny and homer simpson's true. yeah yeah i was like i i had in my head assumed all my life this movie was that i'd never seen it until last night and then that studio fan Wait, you've like, never seen it i've never seen this movie yeah i haven't seen a lot of these movies oh, like, wow. i've only seen like a handful of 92 films so yeah but, that's oh, a, i'm a but, very but, weird choice to co-host this podcast <laughs> But you sound, but even you said you were a Shelton person. I figured, you know, you can't I just be like, a Shelton person. I never circled back to this because I, uh, Tin Cup was the first movie I saw by him. And I was like, this is great. Then I watched Bull Durham. And then like White Man Can't Jump had this reputation in my world as being like really risque. And it's not at all. And I think that that was because of like coded racism within the world that I grew up in. But like it, it, it certainly. I just never circled back to it, and then I watched it last night. And was like, right, Ron Shelton's really fucking good when he's good. Did so. you did Did you know there was the Jeopardy part before this? No, I was oh, so you, you must, I did not. When you this movie, you must have been so delighted when this movie just turned into an episode of Jeopardy for five minutes. I was because I was like, I think it's really cool that, like you said, that that you know, Rosie Perez is is uh, Gloria rather is really good at, at trivia. And Billy's really good at basketball. And like, that's what you need for a marriage. Like Libby's really good at basketball. and I'm really good at yeah. trivia, which is weird. Yeah. Cause I'm the tall one, but, um, the, <laughs> but like when this movie just turned into an episode of jeopardy, I was not expecting that. And Alex Trebek was there. And like, I knew he did a lot of cameos. I was so delighted. I had such a blast. It just like giving that character, that resolution and letting that character have a big win just is oh, why, so I, why I love this, this, this guy well, at his best. I remember when I watched it for the first time, Kenny, I texted you and I was like, I can't believe she actually gets on Jeopardy. Yeah. And you were just like, yeah, it's the fucking greatest. And you're just like, cause you never ever would expect it to happen. It's just, it's I, fantastic. It, it, I, and I know, you know, again, these are like, like, Babe Ruth is so funny. Babe Ruth is so funny. It's like it's enough to make you fucking fall out of your chair. But it's also Wesley Snipes um, being like at, Babe Ruth. No, <laughs> she's not great at sports. But uh, and those two guys are so funny too. The professor and the rocket yes, scientist. Yes. It's it's and a former disco queen. Uh, like it's too. I remember my dad laughing so hard at a former disco queen. But like, and she hates the dress, but she loves the dress, and she wears the dress. But even though they're like on a break, whatever. It's fantastic this like i i i again i know it sounds crazy because like everyone else's version of this is fucking star wars or whatever et or or you know, jurassic park or whatever but like this this moment when she gets on jeopardy for me was such an eye-opener about what movies can be it was such an eye-opener about like oh you can do whatever you want 
Like you, you could certainly write whatever you want, right? You could certainly put anything into a movie and having her actually go on Jeopardy, which was probably my other obsession as a child, right? Trivia has always been an obsession for me. Jeopardy's always been an obsession for me and having her go on Jeopardy and just slay it like that. And the, it's the one moment in this movie where you're he kind of I can't even believe Shelton was so whimsical to like allow her to get on Jeopardy and have foods that begin with the letter Q be like that category. It's so this is what I mean when I say I think this is a fairy tale. Yeah. Like I think like all like everything that happens in this movie just is pitched a little bit above where we live. And it's yep. oh, it's so lovely and and beautiful. I I, I the Jeopardy thing is like the, the Jeopardy with thing all is due respect. Yes, go ahead. It's go ahead. magic. It's a th- that's the moment where where that's the the moment of the element of the way he gets on, and you're not shooting at Ghana, you're shooting at the sedan and a hook shot. I love every fucking element of this, but that's the thing that elevates it above all these other sports movies. The thing about like this movie in particular is this movie feels to me like this is when th- this is like my favorite studio movie like my favorite like classic this and my cousin Vinny and home alone are like the three movies that i feel like came from that that, so that, that that came from they came from marketing teams you know they 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 really right. were like we're right. we're going to pitch movies that like four quadrants love that feel right that are funny but also you know you have human drama and they're just those three movies are the only three like real studio movies that i think like are perfect for me all my other favorite movies are either like weird or failures or like indie or like stupid like these are the movies that did exactly what they were supposed to do to to the audience I, I like can, i am that i totally before agree I also think to you know just to, to to really kind of underline what what we were saying earlier in terms of the Rosie Perez factor, which I really do think is the one of the secret sauces of this movie. Um, the casting of Rosie Perez, who at this point has only basically been in three movies, her first film being Do the Right Thing in '89, which we talked about uh, on our Patreon, Kenny. But um, and she doesn't she she doesn't do a lot in it. The memory she of that is do a lot. Yeah. The memory of that is uh, she has a much bigger role because she has an incredible dance in the beginning, but that's not much of a role. Yeah, it's it's really not. This is probably her first. This is definitely her first like substantive role. She's in a movie. She's in Night on Earth. She's in Criminal Justice, which is a TV movie. So really, this is her first, you know, significant role, and she fucking crushes it. She is should have been nominated. Obviously, she, she should have been. She's nominated the next year for Fearless, which I do for think Fearless, is which is a kind of a it's kind of a dumb movie. Um, but <laughs> this movie, this is the it one. Is kind this of a is dumb. She, she, she should have won for this. This is like again, you know, my cousin Vinny. It's it's very much like Marissa Tomei to me, in that like, mm-hmm. you know, the character. Both of these characters are characters that in ninety nine percent of movies like this are just girlfriends are just accessories are just there to pump the guy up in the moment and in both of these movies they steal the movie not just because they're great actors mm-hmm. because the characters actually like well, literally steal that's what the I was gonna say. They, 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 they truly wrangle control of the narrative is the thing right like there's and that it's hinted I, at it's, it's hinted at the whole way in both these movies in both sorry but in both these movies like they at the whole way you are you are you are you are constantly thinking 
there's more to this character than yep. than um you know your typical character in this. Yep. You, Marissa Tomei is so smart and so you know, attention to detail and so yep. clever and pushes back and has such balls. Um, and same with you know, Rosie this whole time. She's always studying. She yep. They move from motel room to motel room and she still puts up all the pictures around uh-huh. to study, study, study. And she's so clever and, and, and empathetic, but also like really emotionally intelligent. You know, she's using the kind of language we use now 30 years ago um, in terms of like, you know, instead of instead of like fixing the problem, just validate the problem. No one talked like that 30 years ago. I mean, you're you're really underlining, I would argue, one of the best scenes in the film. And it's a, it's a relatively famous scene in the film, which is uh, when she says she's thirsty and mm-hmm. he brings her a glass and Billy brings her a glass of water. She's I didn't ask for a glass of water. I just told you that I was thirsty. And she and, and it's a it's a wonderful scene about her explaining listening and empathy and her literally the line i love is i too know what it's like to be thirsty is (laughs) it is funny but it is an amazing scene where you're seeing sort of writ large billy's problem in this relationship and something that quite frankly he doesn't really learn by the end of the film he never really learns no (laughs) is is just you know how to care about another person to put someone else ahead of you and to actually you know listen to someone's problems not try to fix them um it is a it listen is a, it, to the woman listen to the woman but also like this is i mean i'll be honest i've had this conversation with girlfriends in the past which is i don't need you to try to fix this i just need you to listen i just need you to to empathize with my situation and allow me to use you as a sounding board. And I think that, that it is a fundamental thing in men. The, the thought being, you need to fix it. Um, And the irony of course, being that Billy thinks he needs to fix it, but he's incapable of fixing this relationship. So there, there is a lot of stuff going on in that scene. There's a thing I love in, in queer spaces that uh, is someone, when you go, when you go in uh, to discussing a problem, some the person asks, do you need support or advice? Mm. We I do that like, too. It's not, it's not just queer. We do that too. Listen, <laughs> listen, I think I like, I think a lot of, like, this is where I first encountered, but it does feel like it has spread out to the cishets because God knows you need the help. But, uh, <laughs> but there is something to that. I mean, it's I, true. I, yeah, it, it it is. I if, if it emanated from, I mean, it sounds like it did emanate from queer communities. Thank you very much, because it's a very helpful little like reminder, mm-hmm. and it's true. I mean, it goes both ways, Phil. It's true for me too. Uh, Laura's, I not to speak when she's not around, but Laura, I think Laura's inclination is to solve problems, right? She hears a problem, her inclination is like, all right, we can solve it this way, this way, and that way. And sometimes I just need validation. And when you go to therapy, you really learn that that's step one of talking to anybody about anything. I understand what you're saying. And Billy doesn't get it. He doesn't, you know, it, it's, it's so interesting how um, even just at the end of the film, when uh, Gloria hears that he's going to use her winnings to, you know, to use her winnings as a bet. And he says to her, I guarantee victory. I've never offered that before. <laughs> <laughs> Which is yeah, like that's really in a Hall. nutshell, right? Like it's just that's that's the you know he thinks he's putting it all on the line, 
and she's like but you don't <laughs> they are they are my favorite kind of movie couple or couple in real life which is like they make perfect sense as a couple and yet you're also like how the fuck did these people ever discover each other and yes. realize that they like worked you know correct, correct. <laughs> they, they are i mean even just the whole um the whole screw thing right their whole conversation about like making love make love or fuck. screwing and and screwing is for carpenters billy <laughs> And then later she says, "Like let's screw." After he, oh, the, the singing of the song comes out of nowhere. Just, just for what it's worth, I at no point earlier in this film does he give the impression that he is a singer songwriter. I know he carries a guitar around, but like it really well, does kind of come out of nowhere. It is really funny that Billy. I, I I've noticed this that this time too that they're running from the Skookies, <laughs> and he makes a point of running with his guitar. And then when he when he plays the song for her, sometimes it was a different time. He sneaks the guitar into Sony Picture Studio in order to, to sing this this uh, yeah, this song there. Yeah. But he he does say this to to Sydney later. You know, it does seem to be his move. You know, I'll just sing her a song and I'll get her back. And this time it doesn't seem. I, like it it's feels like happen. there might have been another scene or something that just kind of got cut. Maybe I don't know. It just it feels a little out of nowhere. But it's it is cute. It is sweet. Um, God, I love but this it, movie. But it does come back to sort of their relationship is so interesting because right after this, I watched uh, Singles, which I don't know if you've watched yet, Emily. I'm assuming you're going to watch it probably tonight. Uh, I, like I watched these things at the last possible yes. fucking second. You're doing, you're doing Singles what, tomorrow? You're doing Singles We're tomorrow? recording Singles tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> so I'm watching yeah. Singles and I'm thinking about how much more interesting and complex the relationship between Billy and uh, Gloria is to, I would argue, any of the relationships in singles, a movie that I, that I still quite like, but it, it just goes to show how Ron Shelton's romantic relationships in his movies, at least, you know, Bull Durham, Tin Cup, and this, are so great and so rich and complicated and bumpy and messy. And it's just interesting watching it next to singles where I think that the Cameron Crowe also writes great romantic relationships in a completely different way. But there's something so rich to this relationship in White Man Can't Jump that I was just like, it just, it, it blows so many relationships out of the water. Part of it's the casting, part of it's just the chemistry between Woody and Rosie. But Part of it is also just the fact that it allows itself, and you mentioned it earlier, Kenny, but that it allows itself to not work. Like, it owns the fact that sometimes great relationships might not work. And, and I, I think that, that that is so bold and brave, you know, within the context of, of, yeah. of, of this genre. I think that's really interesting. I think the comparison to the Cameron Crowe is interesting too. Um, Cause again, it, you know, the other couple that I think is what you're talking about, Emily is, you know, not to bring it back to my cousin Vinny, but Vinny and Mona Lisa uh, don't work on paper. They don't, they don't look right together. They don't, they don't seem to even like really sp like live on the same planet. And yet, and yet they're perfect for each other. Um, they get each other perfectly and live on the exact same. And, and so much of that is like, those are, two of my favorite actors in the universe. So I think they could do anything. Um, and I think these two actors are also incredible and, and, and went and can jump. But what I, I keep coming back to is this idea of, all right, so yes, Cameron Crowe does an incredible job at selling the relationship with Sandy thing as well as, uh, as well as Jerry Maguire, right? Those are two relationships that I absolutely love. Mm -hmm. 
which are also two movies that uh, on several occasions give you scenes from the woman's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and both sort it, of sports it, movies. <laughs> I mean, this is more overtly a sports movie than Jerry Maguire, but still. Yeah, no, but yeah. very similar. But 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 Jerry mm-hmm. Maguire and uh, Say Anything, you both get you know, mm-hmm. Say Anything is a straight up two hander. Jerry Maguire, you have plenty of scenes where Dorothy is the you know the, the POV character, and I think you would probably prescribe to a screenwriter trying to write stronger romantic uh, relationships between men and women. You should probably have some more scenes from the woman's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie has almost no scenes that are actually from. Rosie's perspective, and uh, Michael Zavidi has no scenes that are from Mona Lisa's perspective. Mm-hmm. It to me, it just kind of teaches you that you don't need to compromise what you're trying to do in terms of a character study, or even in terms of a two-hander between two men, mm-hmm. and also have the also show that the romantic uh, the, the the romantic interest is her own person and has her own desires and internal life and plans and all these things it's i i think like sometimes we get bogged down in in the idea of um structure it differently in terms of how you were going to fill out these characters but there's a reason that woody for instance fell for gloria mm-hmm. and for, through his eyes you see it very quickly very quickly you understand what it is about this woman, aside from the fact that she's a beautiful woman, that really is so attractive to him and so attractive to us and so exciting. And so, like, there's something about this Gloria, this character, that is is so, like, exciting but all adventurous and really just, like, 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 pot- like, 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 nope, like, like, potential. There, there's no ceiling. Like, yeah, the, yeah. the Endless potential yeah, of the... Yeah. Endless, the potential of the world with Gloria is endless, and that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I was trying to think of like what are a comparable movies that are about one woman or two women and the male characters are just kind of there. And like, then I was like, well, Thelma and Louise is literally the year before and everybody freaked the fuck out about that. So uh, it's, it's an interesting, like, it is an interesting challenge in your brain as someone who tells stories to be like, can you make this so firmly about one person, but give everybody else or two people, but give everybody else a rich inner life. And when you're making a movie or a TV show, you can like lean on actors a lot. And I think Rosie Perez always brings so much to whoever she's playing in a way that you're like, oh yeah, of course, I get why everyone is obsessed with this person. 
Um, like okay. like um, Sydney's Sydney's wife is like just much less of a presence in this film. And if I have like a thing I'm gonna like ding it with, it's that she's kind of she's kind of forgettable. She she's not given nearly as much. Yeah, but she's but but she's not nothing. You know, she definitely has wants, needs, and desires, and a point of view. She's the one who delivers the you know you two are gonna play in the tournament together speech yeah yeah which i think is pretty good and i think but, the cross-cutting of that scene is great the fact that it cuts between the two you know girlfriends wives and the guys is you know really well done but robert just there cleaning out his gun <laughs> i mean it's like this movie <laughs> um yeah i mean I, I i do feel like this movie we've talked a fair amount about the ending but i i do think that um it 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 doesn't end with a big match or a big game either. You know what I mean? Like, yes, you have. Well, it them. does, but you know, dunking. Well, yeah, but I it, guess you're right. It, the dunking. Yeah, it, you're right. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't that it, it doesn't feel like it. It ends with a big moment. Sports wise, athletic wise, it ends with a big moment. It ends with Woody dunking. Yeah, and pulling himself up on the rim. Yeah, it's 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 fantastic, but. Can we talk about my 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 favorite Absolutely. my favorite Ron Shelton flight of fancy I do what I want scene? Sure. It's when Raymond needs the money to get to the game and he goes to rob the convenience store. The guy's like, "Is that you, Raymond?" <laughs> yeah. uh, that that perform that guy's name is Marquez Johnson and he was just a basketball player. The basket he was an actual basketball player uh-huh. and it's to give him this hysterical over the top unexpected scene in the middle of the film it's the only time you 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 leave the three main characters um i love it so much i think of that scene all the time i think it's like it's second to like you know it's second to like the the what's his name mike yama yama yeah yeah, yeah. uh from fargo yeah uh, yeah it's it's second to that scene in the scene that that you could pull out very easily and maybe you'd think that the movie would run perfectly without it, but that there's so much richness to this world by seeing that one particular scene and moment. I fucking love it's, it. It is fantastic because it does. It's I, as it's happening because I mean, obviously, it's flirting with danger, it's flirting with violence, but like it's doing it in a way that is just really funny and knowing. And I, I, I don't know. There's it, it is. It is perhaps the moment in the movie. It's pretty early on, if I remember correctly, right, Kenny? Like it's within the first it's, like, it's, half hour. Yeah, it's the first game they play. So it's yeah. the first game they play as teammates. I mean, it's it is. It's kind of a moment when you're like, oh, this movie can kind of do anything. You know what I mean? Yes. Like it's it's and and I love moments like that. Um, but uh, are there other things you uh, want to talk about, White Man Can't Jump, before we rate this and talk about next week's movie? Uh no, I guess not. Great film, not the best. Thank, thank you for having me on. Oh my god, is Digstown is is Digstown really ninety two also? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. All right, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, so it's, it's I'll, happening. Digstown is happening. Yeah, yeah. Digstown has less of a uh, less of a, a female presence, but um, well, listen, I've the... gotten I've gotten used to it by now. Uh, mo- like I, when there's a movie that has a female character whose name I remember when it's over, I'm thrilled. Uh, and so this movie passes that test with flying colors. I mean, glorious great character, passion fish fucking rules. If you go look yeah. at my rankings of ninety two movies, yeah. it's kind of like just What's movies. Where, right 
passion, passion. Yeah. and then last of the mohicans and like that movie everybody's hot but like uh where are you uh where are you doing these rankings are they on letterboxd or something letterboxd yeah mm-hmm. and right. um yeah cool. and like i i have been pleasantly surprised how many of these movies i've liked while also being like they are very 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 guy heavy and like that is that gets a yeah. little wearing on me after a while but like this movie like glory is a great fucking character she gets to play jeopardy i'm uh yeah i'm 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 thrilled i we, this I, is a, this, <laughs> this is a, this is a discussion that came up earlier about mm. following your favorite players and i've always been a little bit different i'm just breaking in with this now because i had my baby at the time and i was yeah. paying attention to the baby but uh, I have never been a following, like I like sports well enough. I've never been a following players kind of person. I frequently cannot tell you many players on my favorite teams beyond like the, the big names. I am very much into the stories of franchises. Like I'm very okay. into the idea that like the Knicks are perpetually beleaguered and uh, their fans are always depressed. Um, I'm very into the idea that the Maple Leafs will never win a Stanley Cup just to Don't like even, pick on oh, two teams. God. I know y'all like... I remember in 2003, the NL, the NLCS and the ALCS, uh, the ALCS was the Yankees versus the Red Sox. The NLCS was the Marlins versus the Cubs. The Cubs and the Red Sox both went up, I think, 3-1 early on. And you're like, this is going to be a Cubs-Red Sox World Series. If mm-hmm. that goes to Game 7, that will be the highest-rated television event of all time. Because, like, if you were in America, even if you don't follow baseball, you just sort of ambiently know the Cubs and Red Sox at that point in time as these cursed franchises. So that's like the shit I love is when the story is like, here's this team or here's this like 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 city that cannot pull it together. So like when the Cavaliers won, that was as much about Cleveland to me as it was LeBron. Oh, so yeah. Like, like I, I'm fascinated by that as someone who won a lot of geography bees in middle school. <laughs> I, I think that's that's the, the the in a lot of ways kind of the secret um, the secret sauce of Major League was mm-hmm. choosing the the then Cleveland Indians yeah. and just you've seen Major League right Ah uh, yeah mm-hmm. Emily no wait wait just, no, I no no that's I the one she has I seen. that's the one with the crazy baseball. I haven't seen oh. all you were talking oh, about baseball. your favorite you were talking about your favorite movies I think I'd seen one of them and it was Home Alone. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Oh my God! Uh, so the, I can't you believe you've seen Field of Major- Dreams. You would like Field of Dreams. Oh no, I've seen I've seen Field of Dreams. I've seen Field of Dreams. I'm sure okay. you would love Major League because it's lovable. But basically, Major League also is the story of uh, a franchise that has hasn't won a pennant in at the time. It was about 40 years. So um, the you know picking Cleveland in, in particular was it was a, a choice, which I love. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's more interesting than at the time to me even. I always found the the then Indians and the White Sox a little more interesting than um, the Red Sox, mm-hmm. uh, only because everybody was telling the story of the Red Sox all the time. The right, White yeah. Sox hadn't won since 19 uh, – it was not 1919. It was a scandal. And, and – <laughs> And the the Indians, I don't think had won. I don't remember. For, they haven't won since the fifties. They are they're the current yeah. franchise in professional sports that hasn't won Be, the longest. Yeah, being the losers because I'm a Mets fan. I'm a Knicks fan. Being the losers that no one acknowledges are the losers is a pretty sad situation to be into. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, I love I, I love the Clippers for that reason because every so often they're good, but they're never that good. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, that's very very upsetting. Um, no, I. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I, I think the movie Draft Day, the 2014 film Draft Day, which I really enjoy, is another movie that's like, we're just going to pick Cleveland as our setting because that will buy us some goodwill. And they're right. So. Yeah, the Browns. Yeah, yeah. They, they're, they're a real horrible franchise, too. So, um, Kenny, you saw this film in 92. Yes. Ten-year-old Kenny. This, is, this isn't even worth it. 99, 99, 99. Like, <laughs> it's so just, it's just 10, what... even, you were just like, this movie fucking just rules absolutely (laughs) yes absolutely this is i mean you know you're not that discerning at 10 anyway i was uh i did i remember liking almost every movie i saw in the theaters i remember the first movie i didn't like was he said she said with um kevin bacon Bacon. and i think elizabeth perkins correct and uh that was the first and i remember no his first movie i remember not liking oh i remember being like wait so not all movies are great (laughs) Right, right right um but and but this movie in particular, like this, uh, immediately this is just like this is this is my movie, you know. Even and I think Emily, what you're talking, what you're you're talking about earlier, um, you never saw that movie because there was something risque about it or something. The effect, I, I think, the title was off-putting to a lot of people. I think yeah, it still true. is off-putting to a lot of people, mm-hmm. and um. And uh, I, I think that, you know, being kind of on the inside of that after having seen the movie and being like, no, actually, it's okay in there, guys. You know, actually, like, you're going to be fine. And, like, it's not what, you know, it's not what you, you should be worried about. It was It was kind of a pretty cool feeling as well. Um, 99 out of 99 out of 99. Uh, you know, we haven't really, we haven't talked so much about the, the, the racial aspects of this film, mm-hmm. but it is like. For having that title, which sounds like you're going to be watching Bringing Down the House, to name a movie that came out <laughs> 10 years later and is, like, somehow much more racially regressive, certainly, like, this movie has moments when it relies on sort of racial stereotypes from the 90s, sure. but not as many as you'd expect. And it's very good about, about, like, not having Woody Harrelson, you know, speak in racial slurs in a way that a lot of movies of That's this time... True would have the white characters do. I mean, we just, we watched Reservoir Dogs recently and that's just uh-huh. all or over even the ra- place in it. Yeah. Or even racial patois, right? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, um, the new movie does. And it's, uh, you know, it's... That's a bummer. There's certain... Uh, I, I want to be, I, I want to be fair. There are, there, there are always going to be things from black culture that seep into white culture. That's just the way it's always been. Um, so much of this culture, so so much of, of mainstream American culture and white culture has just been adopted from black culture, queer culture, and other cultures that aren't, you know, kind of white male. Um, I see my son saying things that he picked up from, that he picks up from TikTok that aren't problematic, but came from black the black community, like I'm him, Right. Mm-hmm. Or like I'm just better, right? Like that's things that people say in basketball. And Rollins, when he's shooting basketball and he wins something, he'll say, "I'm him." He has no fucking idea that he that he has appropriated that from black culture. And some things, like literally, like the word "cool" that everyone uses now, uh, come from black culture. And you know, no one bats an eye, nor probably should they. So there. There's a line. I don't know where the line is. I don't quite think the new white man can jump across that line. But I do think that Woody in particular in this movie plays someone who is uh, 
comfortable on those courts without adopting, you know, adopting the or appropriating the culture in a way that I think is uncomfortable. I think you just wouldn't buy Woody Harrelson doing that to some, especially at this point sure. in time, people would just, it's just too far of a break from his cheers character. I think he's so smart about slowly edging himself away from Woody Boyd. So that by the time he's playing Larry Flint, you're like, yeah. of course, Woody Harrelson should play Larry Flint. You know, it's, it, and yeah. like, if he had just jumped, yeah, if he had jumped into the, the character from the you're remake, right I that. haven't seen the remake, but like, it, it would just feel false in a way. So I do think casting works in their favor. Really I mean, I, well. I, I totally agree. And, and I do think, you know, Natural Born Killers is, is only a couple years later, but mm-hmm. it does go to show that I do feel like, because I remember when that came out and everyone was like, Woody Boyd, a serial killer, like a mass murderer. Like, and, and it's a testament, A, to Woody's talent that you buy him in that role. But that was, to your point, Emily, kind of like, you know, this to Indecent Proposal to Natural Born Killers. Like, there, there's a concerted effort to try to slowly get there over the course of a couple years so that, you know, um, it wouldn't be too jarring to people. But, like, you got to hand it to him. He took some pretty big swings early. I mean, I mean, Indecent Proposal is literally just what if Robert Redford paid Woody Boyd a lot of money to sleep with his wife? And Woody Boyd Correct. was slightly um, smarter. Like, that's, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Love that movie. <laughs> I mean, played it, I, played it on screen drafts. That's which one? What what draft? The Razzies, our draft. No, indecent. The Razzies. I think it was indecent proposal wasn't a Razzie, was it? Are you sure? It won, it won worst picture, and I played it on our draft. Now Man. I regret playing it and not playing Color of Night, of course. Well, but you did play uh, Color of Night, and then I, I just told you, you vetoed it at two. I, I should have played it at four. And just let an indecent proposal, you know, take I a can't hike. I believe indecent proposal was a Razzie winner. That's absolute, That's absurd. That movie, it was. That's crazy. Good. It um, is. That's amazing. I'm. So I'm. Yeah. When I saw this film uh, before this podcast, I had it at an 83. I'm now at an 88. I think it's a. I think it's a fantastic movie. Um, where are you, Emily, on this? I never saw it in 92. My only like real understanding of it uh, beyond the like it's risque is my wife's dad when they were little kids. She he took her and her little brother to see it. I think because like he had in his mind that it was going to be like I'm trying to think of a, a comp like like cool runnings, you know, okay. like a like a okay. family sports movie that's also kind of about like racial relations but not really. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, it was R-rated. Like, and I asked, I was like asking my wife, how could this possibly, you know, how could the, he have not known that? And she was like, I mean, I don't think he paid that much attention. And at the time, Woody Harrelson, again, Woody Harrelson right. was just yeah. like the nice yeah. guy from Cheers. Sure. So I have always had it in my head as this, you know, I kind of got the wrong impression of it. So I was like kind of quietly really impressed by it while also feeling like, um, you know, so, some of it is – the 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 stuff with the gangsters is maybe a little needlessly complicated in certain areas. Um, so I came into this at like 75, which is like, you know, uh, a really strong movie. And I'm going to bump it up to 79 because I like this discussion. I really did like this movie. It just it was it kind of I think it did kind of take me like 30 minutes to realize that it wasn't what I thought it was, which sometimes just happens when you've had all those years. Sure, of sure, sure. Building something up in your brain. So. Really good movie. Uh, excited to see what this the... Ron Shelton kid calls does next. <laughs> Where does it fall in your queer <laughs> phobia scale? 
on my queer phobia scale, it's not it's it's so much less queer phobic than you'd expect. <laughs> like there's there's a, again, it's that thing where all of this like like trash talk inherently is constantly flirting with becoming homophobic. It, there's perfectly fine trash talk that is not that, but it's very much on the like the dominant scale of, you know, that inevitably will turn into some sort of um, um, gay slurs. Um, but it never quite crosses that line. Ron Shelton's really fucking canny about how he uses that material, how he uses until slurs. until play it by the bone until play it by the play. Yeah. So I'm going to give it like a, I'm going to give it like a, like a three, just in terms of, you know, um, it, the movie does have a homoeroticism. It doesn't know what to do with, which isn't explicitly queer phobia, but it's like, it is a little bit afraid of that homoeroticism in a way that I think works for the movie. But like, if I were making this today, it would just be about two guys who fall in love. It'd be great. So Kenny, next week, by the, by the way, yes, I basically, I was talking to my, my friend about the, the remake Mm-hmm. And I basically pitched that to him. I said they should just fall in love, yeah. you know. <laughs> Do it. I mean, at least if the if the if the if the, if the, if the movie is about stigmas and basketball, mm-hmm. the stigma that white men can't jump isn't really true anymore. So much so that they literally show a white guy dunking in the first basketball. The first thing you see in a basketball scene is a white guy dunking. Um, but there still Jesus. are stigmas against gay people in sports, yeah. and I do think that would be an interesting, a more interesting story. And to do it in a way that's not in a way like this movie that doesn't feel like look at this white guy rising above. It's mm-hmm. this white guy's playing basketball. If it's not look at this gay person, you know, breaking down barriers, it's the gay person is, you know, one of the one of the ballers of the movie, I think would be fun. But I have always wanted to write a movie about Joe Montana and Steve Young falling in love. Because like there was that whole like great thing. idea. Yeah. Let's just do it. Let's just Steve do like these yeah. <laughs> It's a it's a really good idea. I mean, I don't want to give away what what we're working on, but um, it's not that. But I do think I do think love among teammates is uh is a really interesting idea, and we and see it all the yeah yeah. The, it's a it's a it's a massive. There's massive potential there, and I don't know why other people haven't taken that mantle. But we see it. I mean, we do see it all the time with movies about women's sports or like the new League of Their Own, their own TV show. Like it seems to be obviously. WNBA and um, USWL have huge queer lady fan bases. Phil, I know I'm I'm interrupting your spiel, but <laughs> but it is like yeah, it is this interesting thing of like queer men in sports is still this huge verboten thing, and like I'm I'm interested to see that it's getting chipped away at bit by bit, but it feels like it feels like we're waiting for a Joe Montana or someone like that to come out and be like, yep, I'm gay, and like I, I don't know when I- that's going to happen. I'm not watching this new season of Ted Lasso, and I understand that uh, Colin has come out this season, and I don't know mm-hmm. how they played it, but but the mere fact that they played like Colin? it, he's like the he's one of the white guys, white British guys. Okay. Um, but the mere fact that they, that they the mere fact that they played it right, yeah. I think in and of itself is a little regressive at this point. Yeah. And and I, I think that that's kind of the next wave is to not even have to play it. I mean, definitely um, acknowledge it, but not have to play this idea of the first uh, and just kind of play it as, you know, part of the fabric, I think would be really interesting. And nobody's doing in men's sports, like period. 
now uh now that i work in television i don't say mean things about other television shows but after the scene where ted lasso talks about colin coming out i had a lot of words i just had a lot of things that yeah, i said to my wife in the privacy of our own home that i will sure. never repeat you wouldn't express those you wouldn't put i would never express, yeah, those. Wouldn't express those making television is hard and we all make creative comments. making television's very hard i do talk shit about other shows but i have not seen this season so i can't uh say i watched anything. the first episode of this season and was like i think i might be done with the show but i mean listen who knows i might I worked uh, i've worked one day in a writer's room and i'm here like listen everybody here's how it is that's how it is i've covered the Um, industry for long enough to know it's fucking difficult and impossible well sorry phil do your no so so next week kenny uh we have carrie gologly and bart nickerson on to talk about one of your favorite actors the man you predicted to win the academy award oh my boy we are talking encino man kenny um i am curious about your thoughts on this movie and, too bad. and I'm also curious, honestly, what are your Polly Shore thoughts? Do you have Polly so, Shore thoughts? First of all, I don't know if you know if you saw Carrie's in the news today. She is. She is. Mm-hmm. She's yes, on new yeah. job. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my Polly. Uh, of course, I have thoughts. I have thoughts on everything. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I like every other writer in Hollywood. Um. I do the uh, the IP mining shit. Sure, sure. So um, I had a meeting at Disney uh, a little while ago, and wanted to go in, you know, armed with some um, with some IP ready takes. And uh, so you know, I'm looking through their catalog, and and one movie I think might be IP ready for a a modern take is Encino Man. So I rewatch Encino Man. So I watched. So, so the 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 point is, I've watched Encino Man within the last um, few months, two years. Okay, two years, two years. It's probably two two years ago when I did this. But uh, and so I have thoughts on the movie, which is that it's lovely and charming. Brandon Fraser is very good looking. Uh, I like uh, I like Sean Astin in it uh, a lot. I've, I've started to kind of accept that I, I like him as an actor, even though okay. you know there's, some, there's something about him that just like I seem like I, I feel like I'm not gonna like him because. I don't really love his adult persona that much. Like I didn't sure. love him in Stranger Things and whatnot. But um, until you know, until he turned into a grown up, I really think he's a great actor, and I think Frazier's great. And uh, my feelings on Polly Shore are like, uh, I like Polly Shore. You know, I really like a Polly. I, I like Polly Shore's uh, vibe. I like somebody who's doing things other people aren't. Uh, uh, no one else is really doing. Um, I kind of buy him as a real person in this particularly weird Encino world. Um, he's a lovely and, guy in the movie. He's a sweetheart. He's usually a sweetheart. That's his thing. He's usually he's usually a sweetheart in his movies. Just a well a well meaning you know airhead. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know I don't know if you know the other funny thing about it is uh, do you know in in England this isn't called Encino Man. Yeah. What's it it's, called again? It's called California Man. <laughs> and. Called- uh, <laughs> I I was with this British guy and he was telling me about California Man. He's like, ever seen the movie California Man? And I assumed it was some ridiculous British movie, but it's California Man in England. So I, uh, it's cool. I'm happy you're doing this movie. Uh, just very quickly, in terms of crazy titles, my favorite recently that that Emily and I did, uh, we did an episode on Hard Boiled, and Hard Boiled, I don't remember what country it was, Emily. Maybe you remember, but it's known as uh, Captain Supermarket. Isn't yeah <laughs> no that's that's uh that's um uh army of darkness oh sorry that's army of darkness my yeah. apologies captain supermarket captain supermarket i think that's japan i believe in japan it's known <laughs> as captain Supermarket. funny yeah um uh, you, you want to hear my pitch 
Oh, sorry. I've got for no, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> you want to hear my pitch for the Encino Man reboot? Sure. Sure. Let's do it. All right. Uh, Encino Man uh, is now a professor of uh, anthropology uh-huh. at a college and uh-huh. hiding out and not telling anybody of his Encino past. And some kid, uh, some kid, you know, digs it up and tries to blackmail him with it. <laughs> sure. Like Don, I, I like Don it. Draper, some little Pete Campbell figures out that he was, <laughs> that he was, that he was once an Encino man and uh, tries to blackmail him with it. And Brendan Fraser has to try to, uh, I mean, stop it does, him, you know, it does seem his, like, you know, his, his professorial life. Well, cause now with Brendan and, and key, uh we'll never get him now (laughs) well but i actually wonder if you will like i actually feel like both of them kind of want to do something with encino man i don't know what they're going to do with it but i feel like that it would be it would be amazing if they did it together if key was also like another professor at the school the only one who knew is um who knew his true story that's it's a good show it's a good show it's It's probably more of a movie it's probably more of a disney plus uh but i i mean i do i do think that um i mean if you're listening bob give me a call our listeners uh, will listen to our Encino Man episode, and uh, spoiler, uh, yeah, Bart wasn't a fan, but uh, but I do think that it's a sweet movie, and I was pleasantly surprised by how on board I was with Polly Shore, considering how annoyed I was by him as a kid. I was like, this is all just, this is lovely. This is just a weird bit, and it's cute, and he's a nice guy. Um, but listen, Kenny, you guessed it. Brendan Fraser won an Academy Award uh it's it, it is on mike you predicted it, it is, um it's my best thing ever it is it is i mean listen i think we all wish it was for uh a less problematic movie but brenda fraser has an oscar never saw it <laughs> <laughs> emily did you see the whale the whale uh yes bad did you like bad. the whale <laughs> okay <laughs> no here's the here's the here's the thing about the whale i keep trying to get other people to watch it i just keep being like hey you gotta see yeah, i've been this. trying to get kenny to watch it Kenny, you gotta watch it. Watch you gotta watch it. it. No, life's like I'm. I'm on a screen draft. I'm on a screen draft episode in two months. I gotta prepare for that. <laughs> so, <laughs> is it? Is it? Is it screen drafts whales? Because uh, whale that's, movies. Uh, that's the whale draft. <laughs> so it's free Willy. Come up with seven whale movies. Tail. Whale? No, that's no, no. Whale, whale free Willies. Free Willy, uh, there are three Free Willies. There's the Dolphin Tail, which I think should count. Star Trek, yeah, that Dolphin counts. Tail too. That counts. Star Trek Four counts. Uh, the Moby Dick from 1956, good movie. Uh, oh, and- Dave, the, Dave the Dolphin's a good one. Yeah. Uh, the Mike Nichols movie, probably, Flipper. probably, a, a pre, probably a preemptive number one. Flipper. Yeah. If you if you go dolphins, whales, and porpoises, I think uh, I think <laughs> you dolphins can fill and porpoises it out. are whales, so you're fine. You're absolutely. That's right. Fine. That's dolphins, what I'm saying. Whales yes. and porpoises. When that draft happens, you know they, that we've hit the stems and seeds. You know they. I mean, they they did do a a, a crocodile and alligator draft, <laughs> and what's so great about that draft as uh, is it's like it's crawl, Lake Placid, and sure. then like five weird Australian. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh. I was talking with, with with I was talking with Clay Keller at when I went and saw Damien Chazelle's Babylon, a objectively uh-huh. perfect movie that everybody loves. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, he was talking about like like subjects they wanted to do on the show, and I because I was jokingly telling him they need to have Tony Kushner on to do a screen drafts, just because like having to explain the premise of screen drafts to Tony Kushner would be great. Tony yeah. Kushner needs to go on for the whales, dolphins, and porpoises draft. He needs he needs to be. Needs to be like him, 
like him and Brian Cockman. That's just like that's what it is. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, you know, uh, you know what a good whale movie is? Uh, Blackfish. It's a good whale movie. Great movie. <laughs> There's so the many whale movies. I, cove. So I, yeah. I just yeah. got. I was just like, oh, the, we we got docs on this. I mean, there must be there must be a there must be a. I mean, does Ace Ventura count? Movie? Isn't there a whale in that Probably. movie? Probably. Oh yeah, um, the, the, fucking, the dolphin's mascot. The dolphin's the fucking, mascot who goes. The missing. fucking orca. The fucking orca movies. You know the oh, killer sure, whale sure, sure. horror yeah, movies. Yeah. That, yeah. We, listen. Yeah. yeah. Wait, 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 wait. I. Are there are there animated movies? I mean, I can't even think of a whale dolphin or porpoise in in, in, a, There's in the Shark Tale or Nemo. There is the Disney package movie that I don't remember the title of it, but it has the singing whale bit in it. That is like the whale, oh, whale who sings opera. I got one. Fucking yeah. Pinocchio gets swallowed by a whale. That's a big one. Sure. I mean, you've got Heart of the in the Heart of the Sea, everyone's favorite Ron Howard. Ah. Um, so you've got that. I mean, too. Mo- what, and you're right about Moby Dick. That'd be a fun one. Yeah, that'd yeah. be a fun one. Are there other whaler movies? I, I so I typed in whale movies. There's no, Big Miracle. Whale. You guys remember Big Miracle? Big Miracle. Whale Rider. Whale Rider. Whale Rider. That's a huge Whoa, Whale Rider. <laughs> guys, there might be a mini mega for whale movies. And, all right. Well, I mean, I, I mean, if you guys want to do whale movies, I'm a hundred percent in. Um, I don't know how we're going to decide who the two GMs are. It's going to be. But, uh, I mean, I Kenny, you're going to come back and talk. Would be hilarious. Uh, you're going to talk Digstown with us at some point. I definitely want to do Digstown. I'll twist your arm into something else, I'm sure, down the road. But um, well, I want to do my cousin video, too. Yeah, of course. So we'll figure well, it unless out. Unless you already yeah. gave it to... I, I, we, I've not figured out who's coming on for my cousin Vinny yet. So that's, the hung, like, the Hungarian people. title. The Hungarian title of White Man Can't Jump is Grab It If You Can. <laughs> We're looking for some fun ones, but sadly, <laughs> most of them. Grab It If You Can is aggressive. Okay. Most of them are just literally translations of White Man Can't Jump, White sure. People Can't Jump, because it's a very self explanatory sentence in every language. Yes. In Turkish, this movie is Beyazlar Beseremez, which. According to Google Translate, translates to whites can't. And I think that's where we need to That's a better title. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, all right. That's a perfect way to end this. Uh, <laughs> oh, always fun. I'll see you guys uh, on the whale draft. I was going to say, we're... no one can find you anywhere since you've basically removed yourself from social media. So no one really. Ow. Are you, you on Instagram plug? too? Well, I'm I'm on Instagram, except um, you know, uh, it, it's private. It's private because it's only kids stuff. Anything I want to plug? Uh, the fucking writer strike. Cancel your uh, cancel all your your subscriptions. Cancel your subscriptions, everybody. That's the way to go. Uh, cancel. Emily yeah. just sent you uh, a secret Instagram that may have Instagram. content you're interested in. <laughs> Um, the content that we all yeah. are interested the, uh, in. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, uh, Phil, should we do the thing where we're like, rate, review, subscribe? I was looking at the oh, iTunes I, reviews I, and not enough of them mentioned my name. So I like. <laughs> we So I have uh, recorded a thing that we do uh, okay. on to the end of each one, but I'm going to do a new one. Yes. Okay. Which, which, uh, which. But I'm, 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 I'm 100% serious. Cancel your subscriptions. If you don't use something right now, cancel it. Um, really, Even though... like buy buy the DVDs, but cancel your subscriptions. 
I don't know why everyone's not telling everyone to do that. That's because I think that, there that are legal the ramifications. Should... At the WGA what? meeting at the shrine, they specifically they said, said, "I I can't say cancel." No, you can do whatever you want. Obviously, you, you can go. do whatever you want. I, it's I a think free country. The, of course, it's a free country. I think that the 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 implied reason why the guild is not doing that is I think that there could be legal ramifications for it um, in terms of the studios coming at them and saying you are you know depriving us of income in a certain way that might be yeah whatever. which we should it's a war I motherfuckers think, cancel i think it's also like uh, just just from reading about other labor actions in the uh-huh. past from in different uh-huh. industries there is a world in which if the three major unions all go on strike which mm-hmm. thanks to Bob, paul to uh what's david zaslow might happen um <laughs> yeah if that happens, then there is like a strategic advantage to holding off on saying, do a right. thing, people who love what we make as a collective action. There's a, there's, there's a difference. There's a strategic point when you want to ask consumers to make a choice as opposed to just labor to make a choice. And uh, I guess we're not there yet. But Kenny, you should tell I, people. I am there the from the beginning. It makes Kenny's sense. there, All guys. the sense in the Burn world. That is, that is how you support us. Cancel your fucking subscriptions. That's what makes sense. All right? Throw some shit on the old DVR and you know, watch it. Watch it over the next few months or something. I don't know. Uh, stop computing. Read something. Go outside. Play a video game. Anything else. Um, yeah, so there you go. Um, it's do you guys ever talk always. about – do you ever talk about the strike on this uh, – this pod we i really have... want to do i really want to do a hoffa yeah oh is that a 92 mm-hmm. yeah so you know i mean it's like the thing i don't want to get oh no clay, clay's already announced it announced it oh. I, I, the the screen drafts i'm going on is me and liz it's a only hoffa movies it's me and liz hannah are doing union movies oh that's cool yeah. Love. That. um so i will be watching hoffa very soon Oh, if you guys want to bring me on for the bonus. I, w- I mean, I would love and, to do a hot and you know, Liz, And Liz will be as well. You can bring us both on if you want. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to Liz and see if she wants to do that. Sure. The thing I'm fascinated by with Hoffa is it is such a 90s portrayal of unions. And the difference in where unions are in ni- 1990 is the 1990s as to where they are now in terms of public opinion. Because now people are like the most excited about unions they have been since the 60s. And in the 90s, like unions had been totally like downtrodden and broken. And kind in of. LA, yeah, in LA, unions have always had a much better reputation because we're a union town. But yeah, yes, we really uh, are. In '92, it was it's def- so it's definitely an interesting. Also, Jimmy Hoffa, um, there were some things about that guy that weren't great. Wasn't Just, you great. Know, Didn't yeah. seem like the I best guess. guy. I guess I don't know. Have you seen Obama's the Obama's movie American Factory? I have mm-hmm. not yet. That's a pretty bleak, a pretty bleak picture of where unions are right now, in my opinion. Um, he actually, speaking of Obama, they have a new show on Netflix called Working, which yeah. uh, it's a four-part thing, which I just watched with with uh, my roommate. It's great, and I think is actually the counter argument to that a little bit of of sort of showing workforce from different levels and where it could be going. And I do think that like it seems like a relatively optimistic way of looking at it. But we'll see. You know, it's it's just I mean the the movie is. The documentary is about a, a it's a, it, it's it's about a Chinese company that takes over an American factory and the people who work there, 
But it really doesn't matter that it's a Chinese company because the culture clash stuff is a little bit, but it really isn't that. It really is about stopping these workers from unionizing. And what what I found so upsetting and bleak about this film mm. is that the opinion of unions um, among people who work jobs that normally would be unionized is so low. That's what really upsets me about the state of the sure. country right now sure. um, is people, people who should be protected by unions uh, have been fed so much toxicity by the people who uh, was, ben- benefit from not having them in unions. I was out at Universal the other day with my, my wife and child, and this person drove up in a pickup truck and pulled over and slammed on the brakes and yelled out the window, you ruined it for all of us. Why are you doing this? You ruined it for all of us. And like most people are very supportive of this labor action like yeah. in the country, but yeah. there are these people who have just been fed this idea that collective action is inherently hurting the individual. And, like, the two don't need to be in conflict, even though, yeah. like, you know, the, the fucking question of all society is balancing the needs of the many against the needs of the one. But you know what? <laughs> I don't like that guy, and I'm really <laughs> mad that he yelled at me. So I'm mad he yelled Fuck at you, that too. Guy. Yeah, that's, that's bullshit. Uh, um, all right. Well, that was a, just a really happy way to end this episode. <laughs> Solidarity! Um, Let's go home. Um, but, yeah, I'll talk to Liz, and we'll try Nothing to, to plug. A, try to I'll, do a, a, a Hopefully a there's stuff to plug episode. after the... Uh, yeah, hopefully there's something. Yes, we, that's actually a great idea. Uh, hopefully yeah. there's something to plug after this uh, this stupid thing we have to go through. All right, all right, later. Bye guys. Bye guys. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.